The Mortal Immortal by Mary Shelley 16th July, 1833 This is a memorable anniversary for me. On it I complete my three hundred and twenty-third year. The Wandering Jew? Certainly not. More than eighteen centuries have passed over his head. In comparison with him, I am a very young immortal. Am I then immortal? This is a question which I have asked myself by day and night for now three hundred and three years, and yet cannot answer it. I detected a grey hair amidst my brown locks this very day. That surely signifies decay. Yet it may have remained concealed there for three hundred years, for some persons have become entirely white-headed before twenty years of age. I will tell my story, and my reader shall judge for me. I will tell my story, and so contrive to pass some few hours of a long eternity become so wearisome to me. Forever! Can it be to live forever? I have heard of enchantments in which the victims were plunged into a deep sleep, to wake after a hundred years as fresh as ever. I have heard of the seven sleepers. Thus to be immortal would not be so burdensome, but, oh, the weight of never-ending time, the tedious passage of the still-succeeding hours. How happy was the fabled Norjahad! But to my task. All the world has heard of Cornelius Agrippa. His memory is as immortal as his arts have made me. All the world has also heard of his scholar, who, unawares, raised the foul fiend during his master's absence, and was destroyed by him. The report, true or false, of this accident was attended with many inconveniences to the renowned philosopher. All his scholars at once deserted him. His servants disappeared. He had no one near him to put coals on his ever-burning fires while he slept, or to attend to the changeful colours of his medicines while he studied. Experiment after experiment failed, because one pair of hands was insufficient to complete them. The dark spirits laughed at him for not being able to retain a single mortal in his service. I was then very young, very poor, and very much in love. I had been for about a year the pupil of Cornelius, though I was absent when this accident took place. On my return my friends implored me not to return to the alchemist's abode. I trembled as I listened to the dire tale they told. I required no second warning and when Cornelius came and offered me a purse of gold if I would remain under his roof, I felt as if Satan himself tempted me. My teeth chattered, my hair stood on end. I ran off as fast as my trembling knees would permit. 
my failing steps were directed whither for two years they had every evening been attracted, a gently bubbling spring of pure living waters, beside which lingered a dark-haired girl, whose beaming eyes were fixed on the path I was accustomed each night to tread. I cannot remember the hour when I did not love Bertha. We had been neighbours and playmates from infancy. Her parents, like mine, were of humble life, yet respectable. Our attachment had been a source of pleasure to them. In an evil hour, a malignant fever carried off both her father and mother, and Bertha became an orphan. She would have found a home beneath my paternal roof, but, unfortunately, the old lady of the near castle, rich, childless, and solitary, declared her intention to adopt her. 